So today is the last Sunday of Advent. We would be talking about love exclusively, but as you heard, since we delayed, it's love and joy. Turns out you can do both in one lesson. Again, Advent is that time of year when we remind one another that hope is bigger than defeat, that peace is bigger than fear, joy is bigger than despair, and that love is bigger than either alienation or rejection. Thousands of generations attest that these four truths are both deeply real and dependable. We can count on them coming back in a recurring way in our lives. But our tradition also warns us they are elusive. Often, life will crowd out the experience of these four central truths. So we remind each other once a year, as the days get dark and most of our tradition was shaped Uh, over the centuries in northern Europe, where it wasn't always clear at this time of year we were going to make it through the year. When the harvest had come in and we wondered if we would get to the place where we would, to the spring, we wondered if our children would survive, we wondered if sickness would happen. So much of our tradition was shaped by the response to those frightening circumstances that happen around the equinox. Well, we read in our text this morning that the world, our world, is pregnant with promise, that our own lives are pregnant, pregnant with promise, that the, uh, despite the hard things in life, something new is being born in us because the Spirit of God indwells us, and it is a creating spirit, always creating this new capacity, this new experience within us. And of all the things that are birthed from the indwelling Spirit of God, love is at the top of the list, joy is at the top of the list. If you're familiar with that uh, text, the fruit of the Spirit of God, love and joy and peace and patience, those are in us because the Spirit of God is in us. Something new is always being born in us. Love and joy are irrespective of circumstances because love and joy are in us. That is our ancient wisdom. Notwithstanding how counterintuitive it is. It is the experience of countless generations who have gone before us that when we are experiencing not love, our tradition tells us, when we are experiencing not joy, our tradition tells us, we're suffering a deficit of access. We're not suffering a deficit of joy or love. We're suffering a deficit of our ability to access that which is within us because the Spirit of God is within us. And so, the spiritual tradition is about, the spiritual journey is about, the spiritual practices are about access. They're about uh, coming into touch with that which is within us. So that's what we've been saying these weeks of Advent, that the spiritual tradition, the spiritual journey, the spiritual practices are about access. Well, today, like our previous Uh, Advent lessons will be a very practical lesson. How do we access love? How do we access joy? How do we do it in the dailiness of life during our hectic days and our sometimes anxious nights? As we said last week, it's something that we work on a lot in our community because when we're working the circle, we're working on access. When we're working the curriculum, we're working on access. These uh, practices have historically helped people access that which is within us. So, practical lesson, how do we access love? How do we access joy? And the short version is this. We access them 
when we share the spiritual journey with spiritual friends. We access them in a very practical way when we share the spiritual journey with spiritual friends. Want to access the love that is within us because the Spirit of God is within us? Share the spiritual journey with spiritual friends. Want to access joy that is within us because the Spirit of God is within us? Share the journey with spiritual friends. This is um, a deep part of my spiritual experience. This has been a shaping part of my spiritual journey. Um, The love and joy that we talked about with our kids this morning, the essence of our traditions, the essence of of our journeys and stories, well, this is about as practical a way to access those as there is. We get in touch with the indwelling Spirit of God and all that comes with that together. We do it through honest, supportive, transparent, vulnerable spiritual friendships. That's about as baseline as our spiritual tradition gets. Deep abiding spiritual friendships, if they elude us, there's a very good chance that the essence of the whole spiritual journey will elude us. I say this all the time. When we draw the circle, the communal practices, the contemplative practices, the learning practices, and the serving practices, we don't say that the communal practices are more important, but we always put them first. Because if you do that, you can do the others much more effectively. We are wired for togetherness on the spiritual journey. Well, I'd like to come at this today's lesson and the practical parts of it in kind of a roundabout way. I'm going to start by talking about joy, because joy has been a challenging word for me in the past, and when something is challenging me, I tend to do a lot of reflecting on it, mulling it over, thinking about it, I'll study, and I'll say, okay, how does that apply, how does that apply, how does that apply? And so I've done that around joy, because I didn't always understand at a deep experiential level what joy meant. So it's an important word, I know it is, but it was kind of elusive for me, because I know what it's not. Joy is not equal to happiness. I understand happiness, but joy is not exactly that. So if it's not that, what is it? So I hit on a few things over the time that it was. One of the things that it is, is a deep inner sense of well-being. Okay, well-being, that touches on joy. And when I'm in the pursuit of the experience of the spiritual life, if I've got that, I know what I'm looking for, I can actually find well-being even in troubling circumstances. Another word that I hit on that kind of touches around joy is contentment. Contentment is somehow in the mix. Just like well-being isn't exactly it, but it's somehow in the mix. Contentment isn't exactly it, but it's somehow in the mix. Well, I know how to do that. I have been able to find in the most trying of times a settled sense of contentment while I was going through these trials. Okay, that helped me. One of the helpful insights I had was to juxtapose joy and pain. Trial, troubles, difficulties, put those two things together. When I was reflecting along those lines, I had this uh, experience, this kind of thought uh, process. When we go through pain, when we go through trials, we go through troubles and difficulties, and then we get to the other side of them. There is an experience on the other side of those troubling, difficult, painful times. That experience, yes, well-being is somehow in the mix there. Uh, contentment is somehow in the mix there. There's also a sense of satisfaction, uh, a sense of having relief. That's on the other side. There's something that we experience. And if you take that thing and you were to name it a thing, and then take that experience on the other side of pain, trouble, difficulty, and backfill it into the times 
in which you were experiencing the pain and the troubles and the difficulties. Or forward it to the next round of pain and trouble and difficulty. If we could go through our times with that basic interior framework, huh, maybe that could be a name that, or that could be a context for that word joy. Well, I tell you those three things because along the way in my quest to understand and experience and move into that which is our heritage of joy, those three things have been very helpful for me. But none of them has been as helpful as the context in which I experienced those things. And the context in which I experienced those was the times when I was in the painful times, when I hurt the most, times when I was actually at my worst, when I would not have liked being around me at those times. And that's when I experienced something that Paul described when he was writing to the people who lived in Galatia. And here's what he said. He said, don't be judgmental of those who mess up. It might be you one day soon. And help out those under a heavy load. Share their burden with them. That pretty well captures the law of God. Well, in my experience, in my journey, there have been many people who have done that for me. During some really painful years, some really demanding years, many people came alongside and carried my burdens with me. Many people came into the orbit of my life and were not judgmental of me. And those were the times when I was at my worst, when I wasn't following what they thought was the good life. They were not judgmental of me. And many of them were rooted deeply enough in the experience of the indwelling divine that we talked about that they had space in their life, they had bandwidth in their life to bear my burdens with me. That was my experience. My, I, I've experienced these couple of this snippet that Paul talked about in the letter that he wrote to Galatia. Well, kind of help us understand that little snippet. It's helpful to understand the whole letter that he wrote to this group of people. In the whole letter, what he was saying, he was making kind of a point to the folks, and he was saying, religious observance, people, Uh, religious rituals, people, religious shoulds and religious oughts and religious supposed tos. Yeah, he was saying, don't get hung up on that stuff. It's not really the main point. Yeah, don't get hung up on that stuff. It's kind of not even an important point. He says, you want to know what's an important point? Here it is, together. That's the important point. Together on the journey, together in the tough times, together through the challenges, together on your worst days, together. That, he says, is a whole lot bigger deal than religious duty. That's kind of the main point. Spiritual community, spiritual friendship. And for today's lesson, it turns out, it's also one of the most practical ways to access the deep indwelling Spirit of God that brings love and the deep indwelling Spirit of God that gives joy. Because those are in us, because the Spirit of God is in us. Spiritual community, about as practical a way to access them as there is. is. Spiritual friendship, about as practical a way as there is. So let me talk a little bit about our community and where we are right now and where we're going kind of in the next year. 
There is a thing about the life of organizations and it has to do with the size of the organization. Because we human beings have brains that evolved in a process over a long period of time to work very effectively in groups of a certain size. There's a scope, there's a scale that we function well in. And I don't know exactly what that number is. I've read a whole bunch of people who will tell you what that number is. But it's somewhere between 60 and 150. Somewhere in there, there is a networking kind of... um, comfort zone that we all feel when we're functioning in that kind of scope. So when you are a spiritual community, for example, and you are about a hundred people, something can happen in that context that is wonderful. And the thing is, a very small handful of people can buy into an ideal. They can buy into a value. They can buy into a set of practices, and that very small handful, by functioning according to that ideal, to that value, can take the whole group and carry it along, functioning in the context of that ideal. Okay, a little bit too much cold. So that can happen in that size, because we've been doing that together in kind of tribal contexts for thousands of years. So the whole organization can be carried along. And that happened with us when we were between 100 and 150 people. But then when more people became part of the community, it got easier and easier, as it does, for people to fall through the cracks because we don't function in a scope or in a scale that functions when you get to be 200 or 300 people. Well, when people fall through the cracks, that becomes a real problem because we think we are something because we've experienced being that something. And we purport to be that something because we believe that we are that something because we've experienced being that something. But what we don't factor in is that there's a sizable number of people in the community who are kind of falling through the cracks of the experience of that something. That's not our community. That's just how organizations work because of the way we human beings are wired. Well, there's a solution to that problem. And that is that we create systems. And what systems do is they are designed to help people not fall through the cracks. They are designed to help the value be followed by processes that produce experiences. That's what systems do. We think systems are a bad thing. They're not a bad thing. They're just a way to uh, enhance the number of people who can experience the thing. So for us, that meant intentional groups. And so groups into which we could invite people that were based on core values, groups that would work together to meditate, groups that would work together to learn about our shadow sides, groups that would work together to practice self-awareness and self-disclosure, to learn how to do conflict resolution, to work on restorative justice, uh, groups that would get together to practice our core values. And the thing is, in those settings, again, a small handful of people can actually carry the whole group toward a process because that's a human dynamic. So we did that. And it went really well. It's gone really well. It's still going really well. Good for us. Something gained. A lot of people who can get into these settings find that together happens there very well. Again, something gained. But also something lost. Because what was lost was when we were in a smaller context, we were all shaping this thing together. Every one of us had a sense that the community will be what I participate in making the community be. 
But when we're in these smaller contexts, it feels like we're part of the smaller context, but it doesn't feel like we're part of the cohesive whole. And when we're in the smaller context, there are a lot of people who don't get into the smaller context, who don't know what's happening in those smaller contexts. So something lost and the sense that we are all in this thing together. So that's what several in the community are working on right now. How do we restore the sense of we are all in this thing together? And that's kind of what we'll be focusing on in the year to come. We are all in this thing together. Because together can be facilitated by these systems, but together can't be really done without together. Together happens together. The preacher guy can't make that happen. The group facilitators can't make together happen. The event coordinators can't make together happen. Together only happens together. When a community captures a vision of a purpose, when a community captures a vision of a value and then takes an ownership stake in that value, then together can happen. When we see the importance of together, when we make space in our lives to create together, when we figure out what we will need to say no to so that we can say yes to together, when we do the initial steps of together, which is often the hardest part, because once you're into together, together has an energy all of its own. But once you get from not together to together, man, that's a big hump to get over. It's very challenging and difficult. But when we do that... When we get through the inevitability, there are, there are conflicts associated with together. It, there are challenges associated. It's not just easy. It's often sometimes work. And baked right into together is that we are different human beings. And so when we do together, then together can happen. I'm spending a lot of time lately telling folks how these systems work in these very specialized contexts. Here's how spiritual, uh, here's how the self-awareness worksheets work. Here's how the conflict resolution process works. Jennifer's saying, here's, here's how the meditative process works. Here's how we're teaching lots of folks in these contexts. Well, what we did when we were all in this thing together is unleash a tremendous amount of creativity that happens when you do together a different way than someone else would do together. And we saw, in, when we were small enough to do this, uh, the unleashing of a tremendous amount of creativity because I, it never occurred to me that together could happen by walking around the lake. Somebody showed me that that could happen, and I started walking around the lake with everybody. I took most of my appointments walking around the lake. So it never occurred to me that there are ways that you could have together at a playground so the kids could play. That's a great way to do together. There are all kinds of ways to do together when we put together into all of our hands. So the systems can help. The systems can show us how. The systems can support us. Life story groups are a great skill set to learn. Meditation groups are a great place to be consistent. Enneagram groups help us dig into our shadow side. Doing self-awareness wor uh, worksheets is a great way to do things. Learning conflict resolution, engaging in restorative justice, all of these things are great things to do together. But what they are is they are systems that say, oh, these are the important values. What they're not is us together saying we are creating a reality that won't exist if we don't all create this reality that doesn't exist.
So that's what's before us as a community, navigating that transition. But here's the thing. Our society stands in direct opposition to that notion. Uh, Our culture shapes a set of instincts in all of us, and those instincts tell us that we do not need together, that we are not designed for interdependence, that we are not one, we are two, or we are a fractured many. The notion that we say in an abstract way that oneness is a better description of reality than two-ness, that works out in very tangible ways to which we have to say yes on a daily basis. Conversation together, walks around the lake together, coffee together, play dates together, uh, getting to know the kids' teachers, uh, getting to find out more about one another with intention and purpose, uh, being able to stand together because we know enough about one another that we know when one another are in our worst days. And doing that all the while, our culture is telling us that stuff is not important. That stuff is not worthy of saying no to something else so you can say yes to that. What our culture tells us is that the really important stuff happens at work. The really important stuff happens when we schedule lots of things into our days. Our culture tells us that we are better off doing the things that we enjoy without the intrusive demands of together because that just complicates things when we do all that stuff together because people, you know, they're problems. Culture tells us to avoid the risk that is inherent in together. Culture tells us to avoid the letdown that happens when we are together. To avoid the hurt or to avoid the conflict because relationships come with all of that messy stuff. And so better to avoid together, that voice of our culture tells us. Which is, again, why we do the groups that we do because we kind of need a little bit of remedial help. We kind of need to know how to do together in a way that we can succeed at it. Because living in the culture as we we do, we kind of lose the skill sets that go with together. And so we have to learn to do together well. Because we hit rough spots. We do. And when we do, there's the voice of our culture right there saying, see, you should have just stayed home and watched Netflix. See, you should limit yourself to people who don't talk about that all authentic stuff because, man, that gets so messy. You should spend more time and energy getting ahead at work. That's where your energy should go. Or any one of a hundred other really attractive options you shouldn't do together because together will cost you. Because together is difficult. But the ancient wisdom disputes our culture's wisdom. The ancient wisdom tells us that together is better than not together. Yeah, that might be tweetable. You write that one down. (laughs) Together is better than not together. So a lady in our community told me this story, and I asked for permission to tell it. And she said she was driving on her way to uh, a meeting here at the church. And while she was driving here, she was experiencing not joy. And she was experiencing not love because she'd gotten a phone call from her child telling her about an adult who had, by being careless and insensitive, had deeply hurt her child. And so what she was experiencing while she was driving to her meeting at the church was anger and hurt and judgment and a desire for vengeance. She wanted to punish. She wanted to lash out. She was experiencing all the things that you might imagine if you had a child and your child had been hurt. 
And what she wasn't experiencing was love. And what she wasn't experiencing was joy. So she got to the meeting that she was having here at the church. They were planning something at the church together. But instead of planning, as they had planned to do, they spent the first half of their meeting uh, sharing one another's burdens, holding holding one another's heavy load together. And she told me, the meeting started out with just me venting. Uh, But because both of the parties are experienced in the spiritual practices. Very quickly, after the venting was done, the conversation shifted to, huh, I wonder what the thing under the thing is. What's going on here? It quickly became a conversation about, huh, I wonder what would be the most helpful of the spiritual practices for this moment. And they both hit on, in the course of the conversation, the welcoming prayer. That would be good. Releasing my desire for power and control. Releasing my desire for safety and security. Releasing my desire for affirmation, esteem. Welcome, welcome, welcome. They didn't do the practice of the welcoming prayer together, but what they did by just mentioning it, having both having had experience with the practice, they remembered what the practice had done for them in the past. Where they, when they had practiced the prayer, it had created a fundamental shift in their perspective. Breath in breath out. Breath in, breath out, and access. Access to the indwelling divine. Access to inner peace. Access to inner love. Access to inner joy. Breath in, breath out. And because they had this heritage of practice upon which they could draw, just the mention of the practice brought about a profound shift in perspective. And when that shift in perspective happened, there began to bloom something in that context of together. New insights begin to bloom. A way to tell the story of what had happened began to bloom. A choice that was now to be made was clarified. In the conversation, one said, well, you know, Jesus said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus also said, shake the dust off your feet and move on. And I wonder what would be the most wise or helpful in this context. And so all of a sudden, a venting conversation began a discerning, became a discerning conversation. It wasn't about, oh, they did that thing to my child. It became about... I wonder what is the wisdom for this moment. The conversation shifted from venting to discerning. That's what access does. That's what together does. Breathing slowed. Feelings were given their place, but feelings no longer dominated the reactionary response. Ah, there is love in me. I can access it if I want to. There is joy in me. I can access it if I need to. There is compassion in me. I can reach into that if I want to. And now I am able to discern. Instead of being caught up in what I need to do to get my child in a better place, I can now ask myself, how shall I approach this? Shall I try and clear it up or shall I withdraw and put my energy elsewhere? What is the wisest? Not, how shall I vent my spleen? 
It's a spiritual dynamic and it happens all the time. We practice together and the practice helps us access the indwelling divine. It's a very practical way that we let every heart prepare him room. As the conversation wound down, she told me two things happened. First, I had a clear insight into how to parent my child through this situation. Uh, How to support my child with their hurt and how to help my child see the bigger picture. I got a very clear understanding of what I do next. Discernment does that. Access does that. Together does that. The second thing she said is, as the conversation was winding down, I had this moment of insight that what I am doing right here for this person who hurt my child, someone out there has had to do that for me. Because what she has done, that in her lack of insight or in her own reactionary response, she's done this dumb thing and that has had a negative consequence, you know, I do that too. And all of a sudden, we were not us and them, we were us involved in this reality that this is the human condition. Access does that. Together does that. You hate to see those things. As a matter of fact, we often resist seeing those things that I could be doing the same thing that I am so resentful of. But access does that. It's why we travel this spiritual journey. It's why we do the ancient practices. It's why we push up against the voice of our culture that tells us that together is too difficult. Together is not worth it. It's why we push against that because the wisdom of our tradition says that love is accessible. The practices will make it so. Joy is accessible. The practices will make it so. And of all the practices... Spiritual friendship is the bedrock. It's where we start. We travel this journey together. And so in dwelling spirit of God, love and joy, may they be our experience, but may they be the gift that we give to those around us. And may it be that we draw from access to the indwelling spirit, and may it be that we have created networks of spiritual friendship around us. As we follow Jesus, amen.